Well, good morning. Let me just... I think we've seen partly exemplified this morning what I want to preach on, because the subject this morning is waiting on God. And I think it's... Can we have the slides up, please? Yeah. Oh, thank you. I think it's often when we talk about the phrase waiting on God, we can look at it as though we're waiting at a bus stop. When's that 151 coming along? Got to be in Newport for <laughs> half 11. And the app on my phone said it would be here in 10 minutes. It's 15 minutes. and <sighs> When's it coming? Oh, typical. Two of them come at once. Oh, I'm going to be late now. And that's the way we can view waiting on God. When we hear that phrase, you know, let's just wait on God. And we sort of, oh, we just twiddle our thumbs a bit while we wait for the next bit to happen. But I think it is so important in our meetings where we do create that space for God to move, for God to touch hearts. And it's so important in our lives. It's so easy in this day and age, to move from one thing to another when it's in meetings or in our own private lives with God, just to move on to the next thing. Oh, quiet time's finished, got five minutes to check Facebook now and, you know, just move on. And But as we've heard this morning, we need those times where we're just going to press into God and hear for God. And the word wait in the Bible is so very different from the way we use it. We use it as... Well, let's see what's going to happen now. Joe's come up and said something. Well, let's see if anything's going to happen on the back of that. And, but waiting in a Bible sense is, if we go back to waiting for the bus, it's a, oh, hang on. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's some headlights down the road. It, it looks, they're what, oh, it's a lorry, but I know this, I know it's coming. That's what Bible waiting is. It's an anticipation. It's an expectation. It's not just a, a wait around until God does something, but waiting in the Bible is I'm waiting because I know God is going to do something. I know God is going to turn up. I know God is going to meet with his people. God is going to answer prayer. God is going to send a breakthrough. God is going to pour out of his Holy Spirit. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know that God is going to do it. And that's what biblical waiting is. It's a waiting with expectation, anticipation, yearning and longing. So having said all of that, laid a bit of a foundation of what waiting is, is, I just wanted to spend a bit of time this morning looking at two sides of the coin when it comes to waiting on God. Let's have a look at a verse from Isaiah chapter 30 verse 18. For me one of the most important verses in the Bible when it comes to about waiting on God. It says the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. If you notice, the word wait is used twice in that verse. Once as regards God, and once 
regarding us. So I just want to spend a bit of time unpacking that verse here this morning. Because first of all, God is waiting for us. God, his attitude is one of longing, yearning and expectancy. Let's look at that verse in the Amplified Bible this morning. We've got the next slide up. Therefore, the Lord earnestly waits, expecting, looking and longing to be gracious to you. Therefore, he lifts himself up that he may have mercy on you and show loving kindness to you. So God this morning, he's earnestly waiting. He's expecting. God is just waiting for some people to come into his presence so that he can meet with him. I want to ask us this morning, did we come expectant this morning? Did we come to church this morning with the attitude of the people in the Old Testament? I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Or did we think, oh, got to catch up on the Tyson Fury fight or something like that? What was our attitude? Did we come with an expectancy? And then as the meeting went on, we thought, oh, the keyboard isn't working the way it should be. And, you know, maybe if you put our expectancy on the graph, it was maybe about there and then it went down and then it sort a bit like a roller coaster ride or did we come with expectancy this morning regardless of the instruments regardless of who's preaching God is in the house and God is going to meet with his people because the most expectant person here this morning is God God is the one who is longing and yearning to meet with his people. And the Bible says there that God rises to show compassion and loving kindness. What that literally means is this. Can you just take a step towards me, Mike? So Mike's coming into my presence and I'm rising up to meet him. Thanks. That's what God is doing as we come into his presence. God is, ah. Oh, Come on, he's there eager, expectant, anticipating for us. God is, if you like, itching for people to come into his presence and to meet with him. And sometimes the way the meetings can go when it just goes from one thing to the other. And God's, but I've got something I want to do. I've got something I want to say. I've got lives I want to touch. And that's why it is so important for us to create that space and just say, okay, Let's just hit the pause button. Let's not move on now. But God's waiting to do something. God is wanting to do something. And God is more eager to help us than we are to ask for the help. God is more keen to intervene in our lives than we are to cry out to him. God is just there. And as soon as we take one step towards God, like the prodigal son, the prodigal son returns to come home and his father comes running to meet him. That's the way God is with each one of us. So this morning, if we want to understand what it is, first of all, to wait on God, we've got to understand something of the longing, yearning, heart of God. That just, oh, my people, what is it? 28 minutes past 10 and God is, they're going to be here in two minutes, Gabriel. Let's get. You know, God is just longing, yearning to meet with his people. And then secondly, we're to have that longing and yearning for God as well. Let's have a look at the next slide, please. 
says, blessed, happy, fortunate, to be envied are all those who earnestly wait for him, who expect and look and long for him. That's what God is looking for in our hearts. Not looking for beautiful singing voices. He's not going to get that from me. He's not looking for eloquence. He's not going to get that from me. But what he is looking for is that earnest, longing, looking and anticipation. And God will pass over hundreds and hundreds of other people when he sees that longing and yearning heart. There's the person I'm going to meet with, God says. Psalm 42 verse 7. The psalmist says there that deep calls to deep. And I believe that's just an illustration of where our heart is coming up towards God, God's heart. Where the depth of longing and yearning in God doesn't have to be that the two balance each other out. Because our yearning and anticipation and expectancy will never come to the same threshold as God. But what God is like is for some reciprocated attitude in our hearts where our hearts begin to rise up of, yes, I'm going to meet with God. Who remembers the thunder? But no, was it? Stingray. Yeah, you remember Stingray? Can anyone remember the opening line of the show, Stingray? Anything? Anything can happen in the next? Yeah. Do you remember that? They'd like have the little turret come out of the sea. It would blow up and stingray. Anything can happen in the next half hour. That's the way it should be when we come together as God's people. Not anything can happen in the next half hour, but anything can happen in the next hour and a half. Between half past ten and twelve something, anything can happen here because God is meeting with his people and God is meeting with a longing yearning attitude John G Lake who was a missionary in Africa at the early 1900s said this if I had one gift one desire I could bestow upon you more than all others I would bestow upon you the hunger for God this man who saw wonderful miracles, people being saved, people being filled with the Holy Spirit, broken lives being put together. He said, if I could lay hands on you and impart something to you, it would be a hunger for God. Because where there are hungry hearts, where that deep cries out to deep and says, yes, God, we want to meet with you. We're desperate for you. We're longing for your presence. God, will you do the things that only you can do? Then God begins to move in the hearts of his people. Let's look at the next slide, please. Psalm 33, verse 22. Let your mercy and loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us in proportion to our waiting and hoping for you. Who wants to see broken, busted, hurted lives coming here and meeting with the loving kindness of God? Who wants to see God's mercy being poured out? There's a at least three people who want to see that. That's great. That's wonderful. We say, God, will you move in your mercy and your love? But notice what the verse says. It's in proportion to our long, our waiting and our hoping for you. God is waiting and looking. Yes, there are some blessings every person on the face of this planet knows 
The Bible said he causes his sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There are some people on this planet who know something of the blessing of God. But I want to be one of those people who knows much more of the blessing of God. Much more of the goodness and the mercy and the loving kindness of God. And I want to say to God, God, I want to be desperate for your presence. I want to be one of those people whose longing and anticipation level is moving on up and is increasing more and more and that's why you can have two people come to church on a Sunday morning and one of them goes home and says don't know what all the fuss was about went in came out the same don't know what it was all about really and somebody else comes in and they go home oh those things Joe said that song we sang, that bit of the sermon, there was something that really touched and impacted their lives because they've come with that hunger, that expectancy, that yearning because God meets with the hungry heart. God fills the hungry with good things. But what does the Bible say? The proud, he sends away empty. Those who are desperate for God, waiting for God and longing for God, God meets with them. So there's that side of the coin. There's the side of the coin of longing, waiting, anticipation and expectation. And then another side of the coin for waiting on God is listening to God. Let's have a look at Joshua. We'll have a look in Exodus chapter 33 verses 7 to 11. This is one of the very first mentions of Joshua in the Bible, the man who after Moses led the people into the promised land. The Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. So Moses had set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting where he would go and meet with God. And when Moses went into the tent, that pillar of glory would come down and Moses would talk to God face to face and Moses got a young assistant called Joshua who would take along with him and Joshua would stand at the entrance to the tent and he would hear Moses talking to God he would be there in the presence of God but Moses was a busy man he'd got a hundred he'd got about a million Israelites to lead and think decisions to make and you know things to judge on and Maybe Moses would look at his watch and think, two o'clock in the afternoon, got to move on there, got some stuff to do. You coming, Joshua? And Joshua would say, no. I just want to stay here in the presence of God. 
And that passage we read there, notice it says his young assistants. Joshua was, they reckon, about 16 to 20 at the time. And this, as I've been preparing this this week, my heart's been particularly burdened for those young. So I'm leaving it to you to identify if you're young. But especially for like those who are 25 and under. Can I encourage you? Build those habits into your life where you linger in God's presence. Where you don't rush your devotional time. You don't rush your Bible reading. You don't rush away from God's presence. But just like we did this morning, we hit the pause button. And instead of just saying our prayers and reading our book, we say, God, what do you want? Can I earnestly plead with every young person who's here this morning learn to linger in God's presence because Joshua did this and then years later you see him taking Jericho years later you see him as an 80 year old man saying there's giants in the land there's cities to conquer I'm gonna do it God's got more for me and I believe the foundations were put into his place into his life as a young lad, as a teenager, when he learned to linger in God's presence. Now, if you're like Mike and maybe a bit older and you think I'm past being a young person now, you know, you're not like me, one of the younger ones, but it's not too late. It's for all of us to do, to spend that time in God's presence, listening to him. What about Jesus? Let's have a look at the next one. John 5 verse 19. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. I don't fully understand that verse, and I don't get the sense in which Jesus saw his father doing things. But I do know that Jesus never acted off his own initiative. But we see him early of a morning, getting up while it was still dark, praying. Going off on his own, praying. Maybe one of the disciples would wake up at two in the morning and, where's Jesus? He's not come back, he's out praying somewhere still. We read in Luke 5 verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You look through especially the Gospel of Luke and you'll see it again and again and again where Jesus is seeking his father's face. Important decisions to make. He prayed. Before he goes to minister to people, he prays. He's seeking God. He's listening to God. Proverbs says this. Let's have a look at it on the screen, please. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 34. Blessed is the one who listens to me. Watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. That's wisdom acting as a person saying, listen to me. Wait and watch. And when I read that verse just a few years ago, 
I said to God, God, I want that to be the posture of my heart before you. I don't just want to go round about and doing my business and going to work and talking to my wife and talking to the children and commuting on the train. But God, I want to be the one who listens to you to watch daily, to wait and hear what you've got to say, God. I don't want to just rush on headlong into my, li- into my wife. I don't want to rush headlong into my life. I want to be sensitive to what God is saying and what God is doing. This week, if you are doing the Feb fast, and I won't be offended, I'm not going to ask questions because it might like, ruin my confidence forever. But if you're looking for the Feb fast devotions, there's the one in Philippians 1 verse 8 or 9, I think it is, where Paul prays that will be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all wisdom and understanding. And since I read that one at the beginning of the week, I've not been able to let go of it. I've been saying to God, God, I don't want to operate as plain old Phil Gibson. Because Phil Gibson and his wisdom and his resources are like way down there. But God, if I'm filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, then God, help me to see what you see. Help me to hear what you hear. I don't want to come and pray for someone and just mumble out a prayer according to what I can fathom out. But God, what do you want to do? And I come back to it. That's why it's so important to hit the pause button and say, God, what do you want to do? God, what do you want to do in this life? What do you want to do in this situation? I want to leave us with some practical points because it can sound so airy-fairy, so sort of, oh, yeah, waiting on God and all this. Who wants to hear God's voice this week? Let's have a show of hands because I hope there are more than that. Yeah, can I give you then Number one, Phil Gibson recommendation, word of advice, if you want to hear the voice of God this week, open your Bible and read it. It is simple, not mystical. For me, it means coming down of a morning, sitting at the dining room table and opening this book and reading. And reading it until something grabs me. I'm not, I've done reading the Bible through once in a year. That's okay. I think it's good to get a general understanding of what the Bible's about. I just want to read until something grabs me. Until, yeah, something's put a fire in my heart for that day. And whether it's a few verses or a couple of pages, God, will you touch my heart today? I want to hear from you this morning. It is so vital. And it's dangerous to be asking to hear the voice of God if we don't take the time to open this because if we're saying God will you speak to me God will you give me a dream will you give me a vision Holy Spirit will you speak to me and we're not taking time to open this book then we're laying ourselves out to all kinds of deception and flakiness and everything so we need to be rooted in God's word that wasn't a plug but we need to be rooted in God's word and to understand what he says and then secondly We need to live with that sense of expectation and anticipation. We need to be trusting that God is going to turn up. 
That we don't just go through our quiet times, we don't just go through our devotions, but we expect God to turn up. Psalm 27 verse 13. And the context of this verse is a, based on waiting on God, where the psalmist is feeling really under attack and threatened in his own life. And Psalm 27 verse 13 says this, I'm still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Another connotation of it is, what would have become of me if I'd have given up hope of seeing God's goodness in the land of the living? And I believe there's people here this morning who are teetering on the edge of despondency and despair. And they're like, I just want God to do something. And they're not seeing it. And you're frustrated. And you may be feeling as though decisions have got to be made. But God's word to this is this morning is, don't give up hope. Keep that sense of anticipation and expectation in your heart. You will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that would have been a good place to say amen because we need to really reinforce God's word in our hearts because in this world we live in with so much doom and gloom and everything, we can just become passive, you know, passive and just go with the flow and everything. But God wants us to sometimes be militant, to be aggressive and say, yes, I don't care what's going on around me. I'm a person who is going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's not just going to be one day in a sweet by and by when I die but right here in Rogerstone right here before I die I'm going to see God's goodness God's mercy God's power breaking out in my life I haven't seen it yet but God this morning will you give me a fresh injection of hope will you give me a fresh injection of anticipation and expectancy because there's things that can come in so easily and overwhelm our our hearts we can look around us we can look at the people around us we can look at the situation in the church in the nation and think oh god what's going to happen but god wants us to be people this morning who can say i'm confident i am confident i'm going to see the goodness of the land goodness of the lord in the land of the living i'm confident i'm going to see the goodness of the lord in faith church i'm confident i'm going to see the goodness of the lord in newport because this is the land of the living we're still alive we're still breathing so let's believe we're going to see god's goodness when we meet together we may be cons- you know i've been there I've been one of the people in the seat who can only see the problems. But I've decided, God, that's not going to do any good. All I'm going to do is drag other people down with me. But God, I want to be one of those people who instead has a contagious expectation that you're going to do something. And I want to be one of those people who's on the ground, in the thick of it, when you demonstrate your goodness in the land of the living. And then, as we said earlier, let's have a look at the next one. To have that daily posture of our heart where we listen, we watch, we wait. Give you a couple of examples of it. When we were in Thailand, I had to preach once a month in a Thai church of about 200 people in Thai. So 
you know, that was a struggle for me. Thai isn't an easy language. I probably murdered it several times with the Brummy accent as well. But that's another story. But I did it. You know, by the grace of God, I got up there and preached once a month and in some other churches in Thai. But for me, it was a big thing to do. So I'd prepare my sermon at the beginning of the week in English. And then the second half of the week would be spent practicing the Thai. There was a woman in church who could speak fairly good English, so she would help me with some of the words, some of the phrases. And when I'd preach my sermon on the Sunday morning, 80% of it was still written in English. A couple of the more awkward phrases I'd written down in Thai, and the rest of it I'd just translate in my head while I was preaching. But come Saturday and Sunday morning when I was praying and asking for God to help me, the context of my prayer time for the Sunday morning was, God, help me with my sermon. Oh, God, help me. I've got to preach in time tomorrow. Why have you called me to do And I'd be just, God, help me. God, will you help me with my language? Will you help me to preach clearly and everything? Until one Sunday morning, about 20 minutes before we're due to leave the house, it just dawned on me that my prayer time was all about me and my precious sermon on the Sunday morning. And I just sat there in my study and said, God, what do you want to do this morning? And as soon as I said that, this is what I heard in my heart. Funny you should ask that. There's a lady at church this morning who's got a problem with her blood and I want to heal her. I thought, God, I don't even know how to say that in Thai. <laughs> so, and I'm leading the meeting. So right from the word go, I'm like leading the meeting, doing the notices and everything. So we're driving to church and I'm just rehearsing. How do I say this in Thai? So we get to church and I greet everybody. And I say, while I was praying this morning, so before we have any worship or anything, all I've done is opened in prayer and greeted everybody. Before I came to church this morning, I was praying and I just asked God, what did he want to do? And God said, there's a woman here with problem with her blood and God wants to heal you. If you come forward, we'll pray for you now. And two women came forward and we prayed for them both. And then the next Sunday morning, one of those women came forward and said, I've been to the doctors. I've been given the all clear. Everything is okay. It's just when we take the time and say, God, what do you want? Last weekend, we were up in Birmingham for the mother-in-law's birthday. And we got there on the Saturday. And my uncle, my last remaining uncle, 90, he's ill in hospital in Birmingham. And on Friday, Lynn said to me, I think you should go and see your uncle tomorrow. I don't want to see my uncle, so it's not convenient. I'll go and see him later, you know. I've had a drive up to Birmingham. I just want to chill for the weekend. I had a busy week and everything. I think you should go and see your uncle. So we get to Birmingham. I message my cousin, and is it okay? Yeah, great. Come to so Saturday afternoon, I go and see my uncle in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. And my cousin, who I've not seen for donkey's years, is there. And my dad's twin sister, my auntie. She was there, really pleased to see me and everything. My auntie, who is nearly 90, she'd been there four hours and feeling tired and everything, and said, are you okay, Phil, if you stay for a bit 
we just got to go. We're just worn out emotionally and physically. So go on, you go. So I had about an hour and a quarter with my uncle. You know, he's thin as anything. His eyes are like glazed over. They don't know if he could really understand what we were saying or everything. Was he conscious or not? So I get my phone out and just start reading him some Bible passages, Revelation 21, 22, Romans 8, a few other Psalms and things. And then I get to John 14. I said, Uncle Barry, I'm just going to read John 14 to you now. So every time I said, Uncle Barry, I'm going to read you this, you know, just talking to him. So I said, Uncle Barry, I'm going to read you John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Carried on reading. And when I got to verse 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. My uncle rolled over in bed and grabbed hold of my hand and looked me right in the face and gave my hand a squeeze as I was saying to him, Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life and just held onto my hand. And then a bit later on, you know, I prayed for him and said a few things and quoted a couple of hymns to him and prayed for him again and left him about quarter past three last Saturday afternoon. Quarter past nine on Sunday morning, he went to be with Jesus. I was the last relative he saw. All because on the Friday, in all the inconvenience of a weekend away, Lynn said, I think you should go and see your uncle. Because that's why it's so important to have that heart posture of listening, watching, waiting. God, forget about the convenience and the nice plan I've got for my life today. But what do you want to do, Jesus? We say, Jesus, will you touch lives? Jesus, will you do something? But then we have to make time for Jesus to use our hands, our feet, our mouths and things like that for Jesus to move and talk to people. I'm looking for the button on my computer now because the thing's gone off. Let's have the next slide up if we can. And then we need to gather with expectation. There's a church in Antioch. Let's have a look at these. The verse on there. Let's have the next one. Is it there? Yeah. Oh, no, it's not there. It's Acts 13, verse 2. Church in Antioch. It says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've prepared them to do. So the church there in Antioch, there's prophets, apostles, the rest of the church, and they're meeting together and ministering to the Lord with fasting. They've not come to hear a sermon. They've not come to hear a testimony. They're just taking time out to basically worship God and to wait on God as a church. And in that context of the church just waiting on God, worshipping God, prayer, fasting, God speaks and sends out some missionaries into another part of Europe where 
The gospel has never been before. And in that context, the gifts of the Holy Spirit operate. And in that context, God breaks through. And in that context, nations are touched. Because there's a church there who've hit the pause button and saying, God, we're coming together with no agenda apart to worship you, wait on you, and seek your face with prayer and with fasting. And it's so important for us as a church to hit the pause button at times and saying, God, we're setting aside an agenda now. We're not looking at the clock. We're just going to come and wait on you. And I've been talking to Mike about this in the week. And what we want to do a few times later on this year is have maybe some Friday half nights of prayer where we pray from, I don't know, we haven't sorted the times out yet, 7 or 8 o'clock through to midnight or something like that, where we're not going to pray for so-and-so with a broken leg and so-and-so's exams. Those things are important. But this is just a context of God. What's your agenda? What do you want, God? What do you want to do in our lives? God, you've got great plans for South Wales. God, will you tell us? And in that context, God can put his hand on people, give prophetic direction, burden people's hearts and everything. But it's not just for the church meetings. Can I encourage you just in your own life? Wait upon God. Spend some time seeking his face, not with any particular agenda. Let's have the next and the last slide, please. Let your mercy and loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us in proportion to our waiting and hoping for you. God's challenged me as I prepared this this morning, but... I want to challenge you with those questions God's asked me. How much of the blessing of God do you want to see here on this church? Not just when we gather on a Sunday morning, but with the coffee shop, with the other outreaches and lots of things that are going on and through this church. How much of the blessing and the hand of God do you want to see on it? How much of God's presence do we want to experience here on a Sunday morning? How much of his freedom and joy do we want to see manifest? How much of God's kingdom purpose is being fulfilled in our locality? How many lives just abandoning themselves to Jesus and being totally lost in love with him? And I'm not asking for a show of hands because these are things we need to settle before God. Because according to the Bible, God will do it in proportion to our waiting and hoping for him. It's not just going to, you know, come drifting down out of the sky. Not going to fall on us like sitting under an apple tree in autumn and the apples will just drop on our lap. These things will come as we wait, as we expect as we anticipate God. And I believe this morning, and I'm not saying every Sunday morning now has got to be like three hours of praise and worship and stuff like that. But it's good just to say, God, what do you want? And there might be times of that. Most of the Sunday mornings, it might just be our normal finishing time and stuff like that. But we need to create that space where we say, God, we're listening. We're watching, we're waiting. We need to be people who come to church with, God, I need you. I'm desperate 
for your presence. And then in proportion to our waiting and hoping and expectancy, God will move. I'm finished now, but I really believe there are people this morning who do need that injection of hope, who do need sort of your anticipation jump-started, as it were. So as we finish, if you're here this morning, you think, I just feel flat, I feel my expectation is deflated, then just come out the front at the side and we'd love to have opportunity to pray with you, to pray over you. That isn't going to be the instant quick fix, but it's going to be like a jump start.